Hello and welcome to Outside the Zeitgeist, an opinion podcast presented by Mook Media. Please be aware that the opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of the host platform. Outside the Zeitgeist is funded by people like you, for some reason. And now, here are your hosts, Greg and Trump. Welcome to episode three of Outside the Zeitgeist. I am Charles, and I do not like you. And I'm Greg, and I still don't trust you. And uh, just so we can get this out of the way at the beginning, make sure to dislike the video and share it with all your friends so that they can come to the video and dislike it too, because we know how that, that's how things work. Absolutely. Dislike, yeah. do not subscribe. <laughs> no, no, subscribe so you okay, can dislike yes, more. Yes. There we go. Dis- subscribe so you can dislike more and, you know, get all your friends to come and dislike us. Because, you know... You know, Greg, a girl can dream, and just like a girl uses electronics to achieve her dream of finally experiencing an orgasm, I want to use the internet to achieve my dream of being the most disliked person on the planet. Well, my only response is a man can wonder why that woman had to use the machine. (laughs) It's because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Ah, (laughs) as is the case with most Okay, so you know, uh, so I think we've got a good, we've got a decent idea of how our format's going to be. So let's start off with the uh, new nightmare fuel. So the first thing I want to talk about is the uh, the Cuomo what was it Cuomo press conference that was uh, a couple days ago. I think I saw this. And uh, I forget who it was, but there was this woman. I think she was a congressman or whatever. Well, anyway, this fucking douchebag gets up there and she's like. Don't ask what's in the shot. Just go and get it. And you know what people were doing? I can't believe they clapped for that. It, it, that's, was, that's, it was it was a fucking nightmare of my youth all over again. God, I fucking why, can't stand Why that. don't people want to question things? Well, that might be they're being told not to question things. Yeah. But I, I just don't understand. I, um, I, I like to question things too much sometimes. Mm. But... You still should be asking these kinds of questions. Yeah, I don't want to know what goes in my body, and neither should you. Give me a fucking break. And all these people who are talking about this, they're the ones that complain about, well, why is there goddamn sugar in my food? Why is there Don't ask what's going into your body. Don't ask what's in the food. Just eat it. (laughs) Fucking asshole. Oh, brother. So another big major thing that made the news was the uh, mass shooting that went on. I'm sure we've all heard about this, except uh, what we're not supposed to hear. What was that we're not supposed to hear? The guy's name? The fact that he was a uh, big hater of Trump and all that? Oh, no, it's that he wasn't white. Ah, even more important. That's it. His name gives it away, too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, You know, and then, of course, you know, Biden comes out and says, you know, fuck warrants and all that shit. Go into people's homes and get guns, because that, you know, that works. Yeah. Uh, people used to say that Donald Trump was fascistic, but uh, real fascist will come and take your guns. And uh, what is Biden saying? Well, let's, let's be honest. They're all fascists in their own way. <laughs> <laughs> no difference. The only difference is the, the nuances. Like I said before, you want your legs cut off from the right side or you want your legs cut off from the left side. You know, Either way, you're still not getting health care. Well, as long as I keep one leg. <laughs> yeah. You're not getting either one. <laughs> or health care. But, uh, so, in, in light of that, so, yeah, you know, Biden says, oh, yeah, just go into people's homes without warrants, blah, blah, blah. And, then, and the Ninth Circuit had a case that was going on, and they decided, you know, the Second Amendment only applies in your home. You can only have a handgun in your home. Once you get outside the home, yeah, fuck you. 
I guess cops can't have handguns then, because obviously they're breaking the law at that point. Well, because they're outside their home, the yeah, uh, police know, right? headquarters. Yeah, I mean, like, and that's the whole thing too, right? Uh, you know, there, there's been you know the, the popular case where the police don't have to protect you, and so now I'm supposed to rely on somebody to protect me that doesn't have a responsibility to protect me. No, no, I mean. If, if you go back to, uh, I can't remember what year it was, but if you go back to that one case of the police on the subway mm -hmm. while the guy is uh, being attacked or trying to save a woman or something from mm -hmm. uh, the guy that has the knife. Right. Um, and he gets stabbed, and he, he manages to subdue the other guy, and he gets stabbed, and the police are just there looking on, and they argued in court successfully, I believe, that they were not responsible for protecting his life. Yeah, there's a, there was a couple of cases that the police aren't responsible. I mean, it's to and me. Then, and then of course you have like oh, you have all the pearl clutches like oh we gotta get these these mass killing weapons like the, like the AR-15. Greg, you know who uses the AR-15 the most? Hunters. <laughs> Hunters use an AR-15 because it's a great hunting rifle. And why is it called the AR-15? It's a marketing ploy. That's why. It's because people want people wanted the military military to buy it, and so in in the spirit of the marketing ploy, you know, you know, titling things for the purposes of selling them. Sure. We here outside the zeitgeist have come up with some products of our own that you know we think you're gonna like. Now let's start off with this one, Greg. What is it? What does this look like to you? It looks like. A tissue. It, it, it looks like a tissue. I mean, you all can see it. It looks like a tissue. This is actually the Baby Asphyxiator 2.0. Oh okay. Now, we worked out all the kinks from the first version, right? And, and I'm sure, Greg, you remember the, the horrible problems we had with the first version. With well, let's not talk about those problems. They, well, I mean, you know, we, have, we have to address them because babies were choking on them, and that's, you know, illegal. But, you know, we're supposed to just asphyxiate them, not let them suck it down their throats and choke on them. But... You know, so the way this works is that if you have a baby you want to get rid of, you know, all you do is you put it over the face, and we'll have a little demonstration like so. So you just put it over the face like this, and you'll, you know, you'll just never hear from him again. You know, that's how you get rid of people. So here we go. Here's, here's a demonstration. Oh, no. Oh, no. People, he's gone. He's gone. It's, it's too late for him. Okay, I'll take it off. <laughs> 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 Who the hell would use that on someone? Anyway, the baby's asphyxiator 2.0 will be out in stores soon. Look for it at, you know, wherever you buy your death machines. And, you know, the other product we got to showcase is this right here. Now, Greg, what does this look like? I want to say a common cutting tool called a scissors. A pair of scissors, okay. Maybe scissors if you're uh, into the lingo. See, this is actually the Woman Slicer 5000 for all your woman slicing needs because, you know, we all got to practice misogyny because that, that's how things work. So whenever you need to slice a woman, here you go. And it's now got the new and improved fo function of stabbing. So you just put the blades together and now you got stabby. What was that guy from, uh, that robot from Futurama? Bender. <laughs> no, not Bender, the other one. That, that, like, oh, stabby yes. with my stabbing hand. You know, I can't remember his name, but he's one of the more entertaining side characters. So make sure you get your instructions from him on how to use the stabbing mode of the Woman Slicer 5000. So that that was our showcase of our new products here at Outside the Zeitgeist. Um, so, yeah, let's move on to the next Nightmare Fuel topic. Uh, Greg, what do you got that you want to talk about? Well, you know, I was uh, recently just watching my uh, 
my daily my daily weekly videos from mm -hmm. all the various news sources, um, media sources, I should say, that I get. And one of the things I noticed is that the talk of reparations has never been higher. And I'm even seeing people actually uh, moving forward with legislation in a number of places. I knew about, until today, the fact that uh, it was a big topic, but I didn't know that they were actually putting it, um, they actually moved forward in Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, Oregon, I believe, is going forward or something. They, the exacts are very weird. If you can prove that for the last 10 years you've identified as an African-American, and you can prove that your ancestry was uh, was a slave. This is in the this is in it. It's really weird. It's like you got to prove this, and you've identified as an African American for ten years. Like that's very strange. They will uh, give you a hundred and twenty-eight thousand dollars. Mm. Now, my first thought was, wow, a hundred and twenty-eight thousand dollars up front is great. Then I heard the rest of it. Over the course of your average lifespan, which is, for black males and black people in general, uh, apparently 75. Who knew? I, I, I thought males and females had different lifespans, but 75 was the age that they came up with. And so, if you're an age 35 male, apparently over a 30-year time period, you'd be getting about $3,000 plus a year. Which really doesn't make much of a difference. Isn't that about how much money we've gotten from the government in form of checks so far? Greg, what are you going to do with your $1,400? Fuck you, Sanders. I'm going to invest in Pokemon cards. <laughs> you know, Greg, I have something in common with Elizabeth Warren. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm a very small part of American, uh, Native American Indian. So how am I going to get a very, like a dick hair? Ah! Yeah, so when am I going to get my check for being a, <laughs> a very small part Native American? I believe they're still stuck on the, uh, the swaths of land that were given um, back to them by the government, so that way they could stay within yep. their communities. I definitely got my fire water. And speaking of which, we forgot to start off. Cheers, Greg. Excellent. But, uh, yeah, the, the whole idea of reparations is, give me a fucking break. I mean, listen... Shit happens to people, right? Shit happens to societies. But the whole idea of forcing people, pigeonholing people into a box or saying, hey, we're going to give you um, this, that, and the other thing just because of the way you were born, it's still the same problem over and over and over again. So The best response I heard to it was from an immigrant who, uh, whose family had come to the country way before World War II, mm -hmm. but much after the actual time of slavery itself. And they were like, I don't want to pay any money for these reparations. I wasn't responsible for any of them. My family was not responsible for that. We're not obligated to pay these these reparations. And that's an argument that I would make myself as a, a Jewish individual. My family came in 1898, I believe they came into America, and also in the 19, um, 19 teens, like 1905, 1910, sometime around then. Have you ever been to Ellis Island? Uh, yes. Yeah, I've actually been there when I was married. I went there with my wife, and uh, I pointed out all the names of my family on the stones there. Interesting. Yeah. The, you know, the, so the thing with that is is that, once again, it becomes this problem of elevating people or uh, de-escalating people based on, on who they are or what, they, you know, what they've been through. When rather, you know, when, why has there never been the idea of, well, let's just set this standard... And let's just make sure everybody 
get to this standard, which is the you know the same jumping point. So you know. Well, I mean, I feel like we've gotten there mostly with as far as um, majority of legislation. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been a lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of great laws that have been put into place that have put everybody on an equal footing in most regards. Uh, you're treated equally under the law, regardless of race, gender, religion, mm -hmm. any of that stuff. Uh, you can't be discriminated against in any way, even though people seem to believe that you can be. I mean, everyone has an equal chance to make money and, and be successful. And everyone has an equal chance to be an asshole. Absolutely. Just as much as I want to succeed, there's another guy that doesn't want to succeed, and he wants to have his chance at making as much money from the government. And he can. I know there's tons of people that just live off the government. Well, I mean, and statistically, too, that winds up falling back into the, you know, 80-20 rule, the 90-10 rule, right? Sure, so absolutely. You have, you have the, the small percentage of people that wind up causing the biggest problem because, you know, let's face it, some people in society are just fuck-offs. That, that's those 10% uh, of assholes that are complaining about anything to complain about. Mm -hmm. uh, but moving on. Uh, so moving on. So, you know, you know as in case you listeners haven't determined, we listen to a bunch of different people and so forth. Um, one thing I've learned is that uh, Scotland has decided that organ harvesting is now opt-out. I'm sorry. Yeah. Organ, har organ or harvesting I mean, sorry. was... <coughs> organ donation, sorry. <laughs> organ donation. Organ donation is opt-out. And I'm just, you know, the reason why I said organ harvesting is because I immediately thought to, myself, thought to myself, was like, oh, you know... <laughs> Someone from China must have went over there and said, you know what, maybe you should do things this way, because the, the organ market is a huge moneymaker. I mean, you, it's, it's that old joke, like you, you, have, uh, you fill out the card and you say, you know, organ donor on your license or whatever, and it's like, oh man, we got to save this guy. Oh wait, he's an organ donor? So, oh, that can't, sorry, I can't do it. So you're telling me all of these religious people who live in Scotland now, well, who I, I know, religious, well, right? no, let me get to my point. Okay. Because I know from a standpoint, from at least from a Jewish standpoint, mm -hmm. uh, you're not allowed to have tattoos. You're not allowed oh, to shit, make, uh, you're not allowed to really mutilate your body or anything like that. Mm -hmm. and because if you did, if you have any of these things, you would not be allowed to be buried in a Jewish cemetery. Okay, I have to assume that if you were to donate your organs, that would probably disqualify you in some cases from being buried in certain types of cemeteries or even being uh, part of your religion in some way. Yeah, you know what's funny is that I have a DNR, but I still refuse to select for organ donation just because I know the bullshit that will happen. <laughs> Someone's going to be fighting over their minds, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it, weren't, if it weren't for that, I would say, oh yeah, sure, take my organ. I mean, not going, not like I'm going to need them anymore. I'll be fucking dead, you know? But, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's the whole idea of, you know, now you have to be opt-out is, is just, you know, fuck you. There's a couple of laws I've seen like that. I mm -hmm. can't remember the specifics, but uh, my opinion of opting of opt-out is that we're secretly putting you into this lottery that you don't know about. By the way, it's not a lottery, really. It's this, you just didn't know <laughs> about the fact that you've already won the it, right to have no, no, no. this it, done it, to you. It is a lottery. You just uh, you you won the ability to not catch a bullet and have your organs harvested. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, just the opt out is when you have to make the choice to opt out 
most people don't even know they have to make that choice. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, I think I saw this something with um, children and being vaccinated or something like that. Last year I was reading where the, the particular county was the parents had to opt out of the school district having some sort of uh, control over the children in regards to uh, vaccines or yeah. medical treatments or things of that regard. If I can find the article, that, I, I will... That brings to mind the legislation that was going through, I think it's on uh, suspension right now, but legislation that was going through uh, the District of Columbia where children could uh, make informed consent... That's probably what I'm thinking of. ...to, ha uh, to be vaccinated without their parents' knowledge or consent. Right, and I think there's a, I think the, I can't remember what county it is or which state it was, but I know that it was, there was an opt-in status for, with regards to something like this. Yeah, I mean, opt-out. I, I remember when I was a kid and, you know, I could sure make informed consent about something when I had a couple adults in the room telling me, <laughs> you should do this. Yeah, totally. Uh, you got anything else, Greg? Or should I yeah, I uh, just wanted to mention uh, guns. Guns. Yes. I'm seeing a lot, a lot of things about guns. Mm -hmm. It could be all those shootings. Yeah, I mean, it could be. Um, you know, um, like, I, I've i had handguns in the past. Uh, I'm actually going through the process right now, which is a somewhat annoying process of owning a handgun here in New Jersey. Um, it's, it, at least, you know... I can say at least it's not New York because I've heard about New York's and there's no, fucking I wouldn't I wouldn't even try there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see what else do I got. So um, another thing in, that I, I found in the news is that uh, you know the uh, what's that? Oh yeah yeah. We'll, we'll get to that one. Okay, we'll get to that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the uh, death boxes on wheels. And for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about automated vehicles because anything can be hacked. And in case you're curious about what I just said, I just said anything can be hacked. And in case you're curious about what I just said, I said anything can be hacked. So <laughs> automated vehicles. So, you know, and automated vehicles so that your vehicle could be used to kill somebody else without you having any say in it. Um, so there's a thing going around where a lot of police... Uh, what's it called? Some police association. They want to have the ability to remote unlock and open the doors for vehicles, automated vehicles that they pull over. So, I, I think we can all um, say, based on movies and media, books that address these sci-fi dystopian scenarios, that that is an awful, awful, awful idea. Yeah. And whenever you can gain access to someone else's vehicle or device very easily like that, you can you can do very nefarious things. I mean, let's so you know if this goes through, um, I mean, it's not like you're going to hear about uh, automated vehicles crashing for some strange reason uh, reason or technical defect. Um, in the news, but you know, you're not going to also hear about uh, you know rapes and murders that I hear that occurred because uh, someone accessed the ability to pull over and unlock somebody's car. I mean, that'll just never happen. You'll never hear about that for. You don't hear about a lot of things. 
I doubt people even know how much of any of those types of crimes even occur, except for the random statistic that they hear and then parrot and repeat. Yeah, I mean, unless, you know, some media outlet can, can uh, use it to promote some narrative. But, uh... I mean, were they even covering, uh, this next thing? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> but, uh... But, you know, even that, I mean, let's, let's not even get into the fact that realistically, if this happens, I 100% guarantee you that a court ruling will come out that says, by buying, by purchasing, purchasing this vehicle, you waive your Fourth Amendment right. Yeah, right. The, yeah, you waive your Fourth Amendment right. <laughs> by purchasing a vehicle that is able to be opened by police, I mean, it's not like we have any rights now, but, you know. How am I supposed, if, if we were to get to the point where that existed, how would I not purchase a vehicle that's like that? Because, and I say this, I say this realistically, because of the fact that cars that run on uh, gasoline and other fuels that are not electricity or soon-to-be electricity and all that stuff mm. are being cycled out of the, uh, the system. It's increasingly harder, I would say, probably to find older cars. And at a certain point, you just can't find older cars. So when we get to this point, inevitably there will be a lack of cars that were made before this time period. But at least we got 3D printers. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. 3D print metal. So 3D printers. I'm 3D print my own car, not the tires. That'll be prohibitively expensive and limited to only those who have the access to money. Just like Or the else. access to hacking systems where they can get money mm -hmm. or resources. So, on to our, our last nightmare fuel. Uh, Greg, you know what the difference is between a poor person and a rich person? If I had to say, this is my truest opinion here, it is the ability or the conviction to move forward with their idea at all times, regardless of what will happen. That's actually similar to what I was going to say. The, I've, I always say that the difference between a poor person and a rich person is that a rich person has more resources with which to spread their stupidity across the world. And that brings us to Bill Gates, who wants to blot out the sun to prevent global warming. You know, it's really interesting that the person who just bought a whole shitload of farmland wants to blot out the sun. It makes me think and wonder. So, my first thought when I heard this news earlier today was, what is something a classic comic book villain wants to do? First, blot out the sun, because it destroys the world. I mean, uh, what was it, Groot wanted to steal the moon, you know. Absolutely, that would have destroyed the world too. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that Bill Gates has been doing recently and over the time period that he's been alive, that are just villainous in nature, mm -hmm. I, I can't help but thinking, how, are we really that blind? Have we really missed the fact that Bill Gates is now a supervillain? I'm going to go back to my statement of 150 million people voting for Trump and Biden. I mean, you just... If you don't know Lex Luthor, just look him up. Well, Bill Gates is basically Lex Luthor at this point. In a, a much lesser capacity, because he's not nearly as he's smart not, as not, Lex Luthor. He's not using nuclear missiles to sink, <laughs> sink part of California. <laughs> not yet, he's not. Not yet, yeah, operative word, yet. <laughs> so, yeah, so that ends, uh, unless you got anything else? No, I, I think that's good. So that ends our, our recent nightmare fuel that we've discovered. 
And now we're going to get into the topic at hand, which is board games. Because, you know, I enjoy board games. You know, not not boring games, but board games. Um, and that's actually how Greg and I met, was uh, we met through a board gaming group. And um, I actually let Greg start off with this. How did you, how do you, what do you want to talk about with regards to board games? What I want to talk about with regards to board games is mechanics... And why I always feel drawn to playing games with particular mechanics. Uh, because you, the mechanics that are in board games are also there in video games. But video games have the advantage of being able to automate mechanics, uh, make everything like just a click of a button. And sometimes you don't even think about the, the things that are happening in a video game. As you're playing with it, you're not even thinking about how does this do this. And some you'll miss the the back the background uh, the back end rather I should say of what goes into creating the video games whereas with a board game at least for me I can see wow that's very interesting and the mechanics are just right there in your face because you have to know the mechanics and as and you remember play, the mechanics yes and remember the mechanics and as you play a lot of board games as I've as I've done and Charles has done you really start to focus on wow this board mechanic is just like the mechanic from another game that I've played but they've given it a little twist, or they've uh, changed the way it works to fit with the theme of the game that we're currently playing. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's one, it also winds up at the same time being uh, one of the harder things about board games is that when you, when you yourself have to do the actual uh, end of round maintenance and everything, and sure. it's like, oh, I gotta remember to do this, and then it makes for really interesting game experiences, and like, oh, fuck, I forgot. We gotta change this, and, and then you decide, okay, do we all take back Timmy's this, or or do we change things? That's why, that's why I like uh, learning a lot of games. I, I think I've played at least 300 different board games at this point, most of which I've forgotten because they were just junk. Um, because it, it, much like with any genre or industry of any kind, there is a lot of really good stuff, but there's even a lot more junk that just keeps filling up the field. And, uh, you know, right now we are in the golden age of board games. Never have I ever seen more variety, more ingenuity, uh, more interesting board games in general. That completely blow out those 90 board games that you always know out of the water. So, um, now one thing when it comes to gaming, and, and we talk about gaming and uh, the rating and so forth, and we have, you know, BGG and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. Um, and, and that brings to mind a very interesting discussion about this whole idea of of a single linear metric, right? So when we talk about like YouTube, or you know, YouTube has a thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, Facebook has that also. Twitter only has the uh, like a post, and you can retweet a post, sure. or you can comment and so forth. Um, but they, but board games in general tend to be more dynamic in, with that or than that. And at least BGG has the, in addition to the, uh, how much you like a game, um, the complexity, right? Because, uh, you know, there can be games that can be lighter games, there can be games that are, are uh, more difficult games. And, um, you know, and we have this, uh, we have this issue where, uh, that I like to call um, complexity Uluru. So if you don't know, Uluru is the, uh, it's the, the kind of mountain, not really mountain, but it's a giant plateau in Australia, 
and um, so you you have games of very low complexity and they're not really good but then you get to a certain point where it just gets up to this point of where it's a good game based on the complexity and then you get too high and then it just becomes not a good game because it's got too much complexity and, and death by 50 billion fucking fiddles and so you have this kind of sweet spot that's on the plateau and of course just like Alluro itself that plateau gets littered with a bunch of crap um, you know, by all by all the visitors and people, you know, and it's not I want I want to innately bash people that want to get into the hobby and so forth, um, because you know they're just people that want to create something mm -hmm. and, and try to bring something to the table, but, um, you know there are there are those that even are established names that just drop a drop a bunch of crap because they know it'll sell. Sure. So, you know, and and so the. The idea that I'm kind of getting at here is, is the whole idea of the, the linear scale of like to dislike, you know, the, the 1 to 10 scale, just based on whether or not you like it. Because the, things, the thing is, is that in a, in a board game, and really you can say this about video games as well, is that there's, there is much more to look at than just how much you like it. Um, so in board games, you can talk about the interactivity, mm -hmm. um, and BGD does list the different mechanics that are used, which is another good thing. Um, but like how well mechanics are combined and so forth. And so that, and, and for me, when it comes to gaming, I, I like to, I like to revisit older mechanics and I like to revisit games that just do the, the same uh, simple basic mechanics just so that I can analyze them and look at them and and kind of get an idea of them from a different light as well as many people you know most people like to look at games and say oh let's see how this combines this and that and the other thing so what is one of your favorite mechanics hmm that is that is a good question what is one of my favorite mechanics um well, I, I will say that one of my top ten games, still of all time, which I know is going to drive a lot of people crazy, is Catan. Because, yeah, yeah see, there you go. But, it, now, it, with a caveat to that, is that I only really like Catan with the Cities and Nights expansion. See, which, that's, that's not really, I mean, that is Catan, but I, at that point I would say it is a, um, a variant of Catan mm -hmm. that changes a fundamental portion of the game such that it is now a new game, but it's based around all the mechanics of Catan. So, I mean, the, the whole idea really becomes is, uh, is what, what do you go for board games? What do you go to board games for? I mean, for me, as I've said before, I'm a misanthrope. Greg, I don't like you. It's all right. I don't trust you. <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I, do, I do enjoy... On occasion, the social interactivity, and that's where, for me, board gaming really uh, draws me to is where, where a game where I can play and be social and trash talk people, and n without having to be in this immense thought-provoking puzzle, where it's like, shut up, I'm taking my turn, you know, that that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I, I like to play board games because I like games in general. Mm -hmm. Games are a great way of challenging yourself. Uh, to see if you can actually do something for one, mm -hmm. uh, especially puzzles. That's why I love puzzles. But uh, the second thing is that if you can do it this well, how well can another person? Now you have a metric to measure against because if you're the only person in the room and you're playing the game, it doesn't matter how good you are. Mm -hmm. The only thing that matters is are you beating yourself? 
Right. But you, I mean, that's that's really how do you know how well you actually are in general? Because if you're playing, let's say Tetris, and you get up to level ten, mm. you're like, "Wow, this is really good! I can get up to level 10. <laughs> then you go to a Tetris master, and they're getting up to like level fifty or something like that, and you're like, "Oh shit, I'm not actually that good at the game." So, what I like about games is that it lets me challenge other people mentally, and it lets me have that that puzzle aspect of, okay, how does the puzzle work this time? Because most games I find uh, have generally a very selective way of, well, about how you want to play them. Mm -hmm. And those games get very boring very quickly, which is why I don't like Catan, because Catan has one or two good paths to victory most of the time, and then it has a third path that doesn't work except for one out of a hundred times, um, or some low statistic of that sort. And what I like is games that are different every time you play it, not necessarily in how they work, but they're different in how they could work. Like Marco Polo. Marco Polo is a great example of the fact that the game is always different every time you play it. You can play the basic how setup. How can I travel? Oh man, traveling is the <laughs> toughest thing in that game. When you figure out how to travel, you let me know. Because I'm still trying to figure out how to travel. Didn't that win the last game that we were playing? You might have. I, I think you won. But... I think I idiot advantage my way through it. But we were playing with the expansion that time, mm -hmm. and the expansion makes traveling so much easier. Especially yeah. when you get to the end, and then it's like, oh, I'll just pay money, very cheap amounts of money, and I'll just walk however much I want to. Yeah. But, um, so, you know, like with Catan, that was a game I, I first played when I was in college, and it was great at the time. I didn't know what it was, and it was good because it got me into the hobby of board gaming again. Because back in the day, my favorite game was always Monopoly. Right. Yeah. Or Brisk. Right. See, I mean, and that kind of brings to mind the question, too, because uh, you have what are called the gateway games, which are uh, games that, I mean, it used to be called gateway games, but they're gateway games now because of how the gaming uh, hobby has developed over the years. But that brings to mind the question of, well, do we, uh, by having games that are specifically qualified as gateway games and then others that are considered as more expert games, um, do we create this kind of barrier to people and, and do we want that barrier? Now for myself, you know, um, hmm. uh, I will say, and actually this was, uh, this was actually a little piece of wisdom by, um, uh, I can't remember his name, um, but uh, I'm sure it'll come to me later on, but he's, he, he said that well, you know, I don't really want this this uh, you know this interest to become mainstream because once it becomes mainstream, then it gets basically destroyed because whenever so a hobby is created because somebody says, well, I like this, and then other people get into the hobby because they like the idea as well, and they all add their own little part to it. But once something becomes mainstream, well, then everybody's adding their own little part to it, and then it becomes diluted from what the original ha hobby actually was. So I, I think almost anything is really good um, if it's going to be at a hobby level. Mm -hmm. If you have, at most, 15% of the maximum amount of people that you could have in it itself. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because once you start approaching numbers where a third, like even 20% or 30%, when you get that many people that are into it, um, that does become a problem where you do start to have uh, too many 
ideas. That's the problem with video games right now, I think, is that there's too many people trying to get into the space because they see that there is money in making video games. They don't know why there's money in making video games. <laughs> That's the problem yeah. with movies. Movies hit that... that uh, or board games. I mean, you sure. Board games, board games well. is getting to that point as well. Uh, but movies got to that point, like, back in the, the 70s and 80s, they were already getting too many people uh, making movies. And by the time we hit the 90s, we had a couple really good ones. But um, too, so many movies were, were terrible. And if you go to the 2000s, so I see that happening in the next uh, tw 10 years for board gaming, is that we are going to have even more board games than one we can consume, uh, two than we than we really even need. And it's interesting. And they'll just be really bad. Th that's interesting you say that because I, I I believe that we're actually already at that point now, um, and you know it really brings up an interesting philosophical question about any kind of uh, you know niche hobby or interest in general is at what point does it become where there's too many people involved. Once capitalism has figured out how to make money off of it. And I, I say that for truthfully, because capitalism is a great economic driver for figuring out what makes money. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, if you have, we'll say, this phone right here. Mm -hmm. This phone is worthless unless somebody wants it. Okay? Once you oh, figured out... Really. Yes. Well, let me explain. Okay. Go a little deeper. Once you figured out that people want this phone or a type of this phone then you can start uh, talking about what it's going to provide for the people and start selling it to people and from that point forward you can figure out why do people want the phone is it because of this or this or this and when you drill down to the most common denominator as to why people want the phone then you can start making only varieties of that uh, version of the phone that will appeal to the most general audience, which is good and bad. It's good because you get a lot more people to buy your product, you start making a lot of money, which is really the ultimate goal of why you started the phone to begin with, but you also lose a lot of that specialization that it could have had, but because nobody's going to support it, maybe a fraction of the, the pop, total population of people who will buy the phone are not going to buy it anymore, or they won't buy the, the general phone, they'll only buy the very specific phone, that's not a lot of money. So most often, capitalism drives businesses, at least in my opinion, to find the most common denominators that allow you to sell a phone, and then they start drilling down on how much more specific, rather general, can they be, so that way you can sell the most of a product. And at that point, you only have a few outliers of companies that really make the good stuff mm -hmm. but it tends to be prohibitively expensive to some people yeah uh, if not most people and so you'll have an over flooding of the market of just a bad product which appeals to the most people but right, you're is not the good common denominator. correct and that, and that brings to the mind you know a few questions and, and I'm sure that'll be a discussion we have in, in the future but, you know, because you mentioned capitalism specific, uh, specifically, but the, the whole idea is, well, um, you look at the, the pursuit of the creator of any, mm -hmm. any product or any intellectual property, and is it to make money or is it to have this 
uh, this certain idea, right? So, and we, and we see that in games. Like some games, they just, um, you know, and, and, that's, and that's why I say, you know, well, maybe the golden age of games has already passed because... I don't, I don't think so. Well, I mean, in some ways, maybe, because you see companies that are just really just, oh, we'll take this mechanic and this mechanic and this mechanic and just slap it together and, and see how it works, um, <laughs> rather than people kind of bringing their new ideas and inventions to the space. I honestly believe that the Kickstarter um, initiative by many of these companies, be, be it the fact that it's a double-edged sword, that you have a lot of uh, just people piling onto because it's a Kickstarter. Right. Which seems to be a trend. I don't know why. It's, hey, it's Kickstarter. Let's uh, jump in on it. Mm -hmm. But um, I do believe also it is the ones that are just really, really awful are just not getting funded. Okay? Right. It's mostly games that are mediocre to really, really good that get funded. Well, and I say that because I've played a number of games that uh, one of our fellow friends has kickstarted. Mm -hmm. And he's usually really good at making good choices on board games. They're all, all of them I've played, I've, I've not been disappointed yet. So now that brings up a couple points to mind. So the one point on Kickstarter is that, you know, I pay attention to Kickstarter a lot and I look what's going on there and I see a lot of the games that people want to bring. And now I know like Zine and all that is, is the new hotness. Zine? Um, what's that? What? Zine. Like Zine Quest and so forth and, and uh, d and uh, different campaigns and so forth. That's, that's okay. like the new hotness on, on Kickstarter. But I look and I see that um, you get a decent amount of creators uh, that come to the space and now it's not that I really want to just bash people. I mean, actually, no, wait, let me, let me clarify that. I do want to bash people because I fucking... I love bashing I people. fucking hate you all. So, but... <laughs> But you get a lot of people that come to the space in Kickstarter, and now for whatever reason, and, and maybe uh, no fault of their own, or it may just be lack of due diligence on their part, that don't really understand the current gaming culture, and so they bring these games that are basically the old, you know, like Trouble Scrabble and all that. Or not Trouble, but uh, Scrabble, but um, you know, the Sorry. old linear, the old linear round round rondel uh, board games like you know Monopoly, Parcheesi. You talking about so, like a meetup? No, 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 I'm talking about the Kickstarter. Oh, okay. So, so they'll put on Kickstarters that are just these whole, this one giant rondel game, you know, of, of so forth. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and you can, you, you know, I will look at those and I wonder, I'm like, well, I mean, okay, so this person, maybe this person has something that they're passionate about and they want to create, they want to bring to the space, but at the same time, is this person really doing a service to the, the board gaming space by being a part of the culture, right? Is it, is, you know, and I'll go back to the whole thing about the things being a niche group versus the mainstream. Is this person trying to just be the whole mainstream idea, trying to get into the niche group, or does this person really want to be part of that, that niche group, right? Do you, you understand what I'm saying? I get saying? what you're saying. Okay. Um, and the other point that I wanted to bring to mind was, uh, or that I wanted to bring up is, so gaming, anything in general, um, you know, albeit movies, gaming, and so forth. And and I'll go to a, a deeper philosophical idea on this. So I have an aversion to always pursuing happiness, right? And That's I, a life, man. Well, not, well it, 
it, here's how it works. So the whole idea is like people are like, oh, I want to be happy and this, that, and the other thing. But the whole idea of being happy is well, number one, it's a subjective term. Sure. But number two, you're talking about uh, trying to put yourself in a situation constantly where you get normalized to. And if you normalize yourself to a situation... That's not good. Right, it's not good because then your expectations change because now you're looking for that next fix. You're looking for that, oh, what's what's the next better thing? So I, me personally, I, I kind of bring that to gaming where I'll play games that are really good games, but I don't like playing the really good games all the time. I like going back and playing the mediocre games and the games that are just kind of flat. And, you know, especially, which especially you see in fillers and whatnot, because it kind of, it balances you, because you don't, you're not getting that happiness fix all the time. I think, I think you're addressing a bigger issue, which is, um, has nothing to do with board gaming in general. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying, but it, it's not something that's specific to board gaming, but even in board gaming, you know, it can apply. Sure, I mean, I, I, I treat funnel cake the same way. That's my favorite food. <laughs> I only eat it at most three times a year. Uh, the reason I do that is because if I were to eat it more than three times a year, I would become too used to eating funnel cake, and I wouldn't enjoy it mm -hmm. as much as I do. The ooey-gooey, crunchy, fried goodness with powdered sugar, <laughs> so good. I, I, I yeah, can't yeah, argue. The, the best funnel cake? You will get no argument from here from me whatsoever. You got you got to go to the you got to go to those uh, those crappy uh, beaches where they have the boardwalks and everything. Yep. You will get the best funnel cake from there and why is that because at the boardwalk they only use the cheapest goods to make the food and funnel cake is a food of the people i mean i'm the same way with longish which is a traditional hungarian thing which is basically the same thing as funnel cake but mm -hmm. uh you know in the local area you only you get it from uh you know i wonder if, they, if they're still going to have the hungarian festival in new brunswick hmm. but uh but like i wanted to bring that up as, as the the kind of the topic of the importance of the filler, right? The the you go you so you go through this good game, and maybe this good game is also something that maybe uh, you know you have to think about a lot. But you, then you have this filler in between, where it's okay. You don't have to think so much, and you kind of be social more and jab at each other more, so, and kind of relax your brain a little bit. And then you go into the next good game. Let's let's go into a game that I've played at least. Uh, Three dozen times now, more, probably more than that. I'd probably say it's closer to five dozen or more than that. Really? Uh, yes, Concordia. Okay. Okay. Concordia is a fantastic game. Mm -hmm. It is not only is it is it in my opinion um, one of my top twenty games because I, I put it up there because it's just such a good game. They've made fantastic expansions for the game. Oh, I love They've, the fish expansion. The the expansions have made the game. Uh, Less boring, because the one problem you find with a lot of games after you've played them at least ten times... Especially the Euro variety. Oh, absolutely. Is that the the game tends to... Uh, you've seen all of, or at least a majority of the options of how to win. And so you get bored with the options. And Concordia could have easily fallen into a category where it was just very boring after 20 plays of the game. But they've come out with new maps over time, which have completely different ways in how they interact with the player. They've come out with um, 
new cards. They came out with an expansion that was completely different in which it turned it into a team-based game, which is really, really oh, good. team-based game, yes. Uh, they have a, uh, an expansion where they replace one of the resources or one of the ways that some of the cards interact with the board with uh, what's called fish. I'm sure you've heard of it. They're everywhere. <laughs> but uh, And they've done overall just a good job of making the game stay... Uh, playable over the years where you can say you know let's revisit that old board but we'll add in one of the the new mechanics into the game so that way it feels different than what it first was and oh go ahead no you go well i was gonna say and that that kind of uh, segues into an interesting topic about board games in general is the uh the expansion situation we'll say <laughs> Because, you know, you have games, like even Catan itself has 50 million expansions, right? There's a, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of expansions, and, and that's one thing in Final Fantasy, uh, sorry, not Final Fantasy, Fantasy Flight is notorious mm -hmm. for, is making a game and just pumping out 50 million expansions for it. And that brings to mind the question, well, you know, are, are expansions uh, beneficial or not? Because if you add expansions, then you're getting closer to that death by 50 million fucking fiddles, but at the same time... You know, it allows a person to enjoy the same experience that they already enjoyed. I really think that depends very heavily on what the intention of the game was to be. Mm -hmm. For example, with video games, when they launch a video game, they already have pre-planned four or five expansions for the well, nowadays, AAA games. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm talking about in this day and age. Uh, they already have pre-planned four or five different expansions for the game. Especially uh, one, of my, one of the games I enjoyed a lot uh, two years ago, uh, Borderlands 3. Mm. Borderlands 3, immediately upon launch, they already had four expansions ready to go. You got the uh, the pass with it, and if you didn't buy the pass then, then they rammed the money stick up your ass the, the next time you go yeah, back in. And so, that that really pisses me off in the, uh, the long run, is that video game um, manufacturers, uh, software developers, whatever you want to call them, they have gotten to the point where, oh, we know we're going to get more money out of the person up front, if we also offer them this season pass, as they're calling it now, to just get all the DLC whenever we release it, when we release it, yeah, if we release it. It's that post-production kind of income. And it, that, that uh, also bothers me because if you, if you were to go back to the 90s and look at the cost of the average video game, the average video game has not gone down in price. In fact, it has gone up in price. I remember buying Super Nintendo games and then 64 games, and the cost of the game was $50. Why was it $50? I don't know. Arbitrary price that they needed to sell some number of copies to make their money on. If I buy a game today, it is still $50. It is still $60 even for the same game. And these games have a lot more work put into them, but mm -hmm. the value that you're getting out of the games is sometimes less than those games that they put more effort into uh, back then. So that brings to mind an interesting question, and this is something I've, I've uh, addressed with people before. Is and it's that very that very same point is that video games have not increased uh, in price point, but you look at the same time and you see uh, that you know you will have wage stagnation and all that stuff, and we can mm -hmm. talk about and, and I think that uh, uh, brings to mind the a broader discussion of economic impacts, which I think we'll, we'll probably save for a future podcast. Sure, absolutely. Um, and, and uh, but to go back to the point of, of board games, speaking of which, um, 
because just because I mentioned I mentioned Fantasy Flight and whatever, there was a, a game that came out recently and I got it on Steam was uh, the Arkham Horror. What is it called? Mother's Madness. And I played through the uh, first episode. It was actually a good one. It, it, it good game. It, it felt uh, kind of like the Arkham Horror game and so forth. But you know, at the same time, uh, you know, in the board gaming space, for those of you that don't know, Asmodee Day has been kind of gobbling up other companies and. You know, you really have to worry whenever one company starts gobbling up other companies as to what's going to go on in that particular uh, space in general. Um, but at the same time, too, you know, I think it's pretty interesting because how you and I kind of approach board games from a different perspective where you focus on the puzzle aspect. And now, you know, I, I enjoy puzzles as much. I mean, you know, you can see the puzzles over there. Sure, absolutely. You know, I, I love, my favorite thing are the 3D uh, what the bejeweled or becrystalled puzzles or whatever those are my favorite things those are great puzzles um pop cap pop cap with uh, those types of games oh no, no i was talking about the uh the hand things the 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 actual puzzles you can put together that are oh no well you said bejeweled in those yeah i said bejeweled but i meant to be crystalled which is uh becrystalled is like this line of puzzles that are like form these three three d objects sure, sure 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 um and i and i love those i love i've always loved puzzles as a kid and it's really interesting because you approach board games from the perspective of, I want a puzzle, I want something to try and figure out, I want something to try and solve. Whereas I approach board games as like, hey, you know, I just want to kind of hang out with people and bullshit with them and, and so forth. Man, I want to do that too. Yeah, so, but it's weird though because, well, I wouldn't say weird, but it's interesting because, you know, our priorities aren't, aren't aligned in that, but we still, you know, and we still can get along and still can get together for the most part. I mean, let's, you know, we'll, we'll say, I'll go ahead and say that Saturday <laughs> was a disaster. But I will admit that I was in a bad mood and, you know, I was a crab ass that day also. Okay, okay. And, Fair enough. And, you know, I will I will say, I will admit that I like to complain, but I only like you to... You complain? I only like to complain when I find it funny. So anybody else that can bitches about my ah, complaining, you know... When he finds it funny. When I not, find, not when I find it funny. I don't give a shit if anybody else finds what I say funny, you know. <laughs> Fuck the rest of the people, but when I find something funny, that's what I'm saying. What, is, what did I say? Oh, I should have masturbated longer. <laughs> that's what of course, of course. But it, no, but you know, and that's but that's the one thing I wanted to, to to kind of point out is is how like you and I approach the hobby of board gaming from a different perspective. Where sure. me somehow you know I use this as a social outlet. Being a misanthrope, and by the way, I hate you, Greg. Um, no worries. I still don't trust you. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, you know, I use this as a, a kind of social outlet where you, on the other hand, use it as a more uh, kind of challenge yourself and, you know, in some ways challenge other people aspect. To Absolutely. It, so. um, I explicitly love to use it to challenge other people. It's, um, if I couldn't challenge people in board games, I'm sure I would challenge them in something else, which is why I like bowling, which is why I like you know, uh, bowling. I love bowling. You know, I used to bowl all the time. Really? Yeah, I actually, uh, you know, I was in, like, I was in like, little bullshit leagues and everything like that. But I used to bowl all the time before I got injured in the Navy. And you took an arrow to the knee? I did take an arrow to the <laughs> knee and a dick to the mouth. I mean, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I was bowling since I was seven. I used to when I was when I was in my early twenties. I used to drive around with three bowling balls in my car. 
my main shot 15 pounder, my heavy 16 pounder, and my trick shot 9 pounder. There you go. So you gotta, you gotta have one under 10. That's a trick shot one. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, and and yeah, I'll brag now because you know, fuck all you people. <laughs> but I used to be able to take the ball and I used to be able to torque it in either direction. So if I had a 10 pin standing, I would throw it at that 9 pounder on the left hand side of the, the lane and torque it to the torque clockwise and. Please note that he's saying torque, not twerk. <laughs> no, the twerking is what I would do after I release the ball. <laughs> but uh, that brings me back to uh, I, I play games. Mm-hmm. I, I do things because I like to um, test myself against other people. And if I'm being honest, if we weren't testing ourselves constantly as a as a species against each other we would not get anywhere right and and that's and and you know i'm so glad you brought that up because that's one thing like even for myself that i enjoy doing i enjoy testing myself i mean you know look what i got over there greg what do you see a weird r2d2 okay i painted that when i was like five years old Fuck you. <laughs> you're you know talking what? about the 3d printer no 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 not that the next to the, the weird r2d2 to the right not the, the bookshelf? The bookshelf, right? Look at all those I, books. I got that, and I got that one over there. And, you know, speaking of art, I'll have to show you the... Remind me to show you the artwork. But, uh, just remind me of that for the show. Okay. But, so, like, I have a bunch of books because I like to challenge myself through knowledge, through learning. And, and that becomes, like, an interesting thing that is another difference of how you and I approach board games because, you know, what are some of the titles you see over there? Japanese for everyone. Okay, what else? Non-compliant. Okay, what else? Physics, something, something, something. Okay, so there's a variety of different different ideas. So for for me, I like to challenge myself and and uh, you know what I can do. And for you, you know, and and I kind of measure myself against myself. Whereas you, you like to challenge yourself and measure yourself against other people. And that's kind of the interesting thing about board games and what allows you, what it allows you to do. I mean, I challenge myself against myself every day. I, uh, there's a lot of games that I play that are explicitly single player, and it's all about um, how well I personally can do. Right, and that, and that kind of comes back to what I was talking at the, the beginning of this whole segment of, of uh, being able to, you know, again, the BGG ratings of, like the interactivity, because mm-hmm. there are a lot of games out there where it's like, oh, I'm just playing a game, doing my own kind of thing, and just trying to beat other people. Some, where versus some of those games are really good. Um, Concordia is not one of those. Uh, Concordia is a, is a, a is a game that has a lot of interactivity. I, I feel most board games can be divided into uh, two sort of two categories, mm-hmm. and these are very general categories. They are categories that either you have direct relationship with your opponents or you have indirect relationship with your opponents. Yeah, I mean... And what I mean I by agree. that is... So Concordia is a game where you have a direct relationship with your opponents. When you play a card from your hand, because the, uh, the way uh, Concordia is plays, rather, the big mechanic in the game is uh, set collection and um, card from hand is your action that you're choosing. Because every game is set collection. Set collection because you're collecting venuses, 
Oh, yeah, 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 okay, okay, so okay. There's also a uh, territory pseudo-control kind of thing, and that's where a lot of the, uh, the player interaction comes in, is with the set collecting and the territories on the board. Because the primary thing of Concordia is to get houses into cities on the board that produce various resources, so that way you can buy cards that score based on how you've placed some of these houses. So, like... You know, and, and the interactivity, and that goes to why I still like Catan, is why it's still one of my favorite games, because... Very high interactivity. It's very high interactivity. Very, very high. Because, and, and that's what I look for, is because the whole point of Catan is, well, how much do you know the other players, and how much can you bargain with them, and how much can you possibly manipulate them into getting, to, getting okay, what you so want? The, what I liked about Catan when I first played it, was that it allowed me to sort of uh, just itch that scratch in my brain for gambling. Uh, Katana is a very big gambling game. In the very beginning of the game, you select two spots on the board in snake drafting. That means I go, he goes, the next person goes, then he goes again, then he goes, then I go. Right, you have for... first and worst and last and best. Right. So you're putting houses onto the board, which are uh, considered towns, um, and they give you resources based on the three hexagons that you're touching, okay? Now, those hexagons give you resources. Get the fuck away. Those hexagons give you resources based on dice rolling. So you roll two dice, so the only possible results are two through 12, because you can't get a one. And two oh. and 12, I know it sucks. Two and 12 have the worst roll because it's one and one and six and six to get those numbers. Whereas seven, which is on none of the tiles, that moves another guy called the thief that allows you to steal from players. Robber, Robber whatever. Uh, that allows you to move that guy. You block a number on the board, so someone can't produce on a hexagon, and you get the resource from their hand randomly. Randomly, you get yeah, to choose so, a card. So from basically, hand. basically, you get to you know it, it moves, it lives up to its name. Whereas you get to take whatever, uh, like something, like oh, what's in here from somebody, the, and then you you just steal. The reason the why I call it gambling and why it's at scratches that edge right, because it's a chance. You have random chance, so you mm -hmm. could choose. 8, 9, uh, 5 as a result in the beginning. And those could be the worst resources in the game. Or you could choose <laughs> the best oh resources in the game. So many games where I've just seen 10 roll out of ungodly number sure. of times. You could choose the better resources <laughs> in the game, such as like wood and bricks, which you need for almost everything. And they could be like a 10 and a 3. And then you have an 8 that gives you stone, which is important too. And so, the eight rolls three times, but for some reason this game, three is your hot number. Uh, and so, to combat the randomness of the game, you have the ability to establish a house in trade ports, and at any time you can always... Or you always, can trade with other players. Or you can trade with the game itself, at mm -hmm. any time, for four resources to one, which is awful. Don't do it unless you're desperate. But, um, that's, that's the randomness in the game. And you're like, how did 12 roll three times... When we've only rolled three, uh, tw ten times this entire game. Twelve came up three times. And I didn't jump on it. Fuck you, Law of Averages. Yes. So, <laughs> that, that's where Catan is both good. Because if you, if you like to gamble and you like rolling dice, uh, it's a great game for that aspect. But, at a certain point, you start realizing, you know, eight and six are the most commonly rolled numbers after seven. And if I don't get eight and six, most games, I'm probably not going to have as many resources, that's where the game lets me down because um, 
in those those random games where I do build on a 12, and for some reason I do get those three bricks that I didn't expect to get, uh, that allows me to build those three rows and take longest road, but not largest army. So, I mean, and that's kind of one thing that kind of, you know, still draws me to the game is that it is still a game of chance where, you know, you, chess is still the most widely played game and, and so forth, but chess is really deterministic. There's nothing random to it, but... Well, that's why chess is such a good game, is because... Um, because there's nothing random to it. Well, not only is there nothing random to it, but uh, once you've learned the basics of chess, mm -hmm. you really, you're challenging yourself to learn other people. See, for me, so for me, what draws me to Catan still is that the randomness requires you to do one thing that a lot of other games don't require you to do so much, and that is adapt. Yes... And you, and you have to adapt I, by... I, I think chess has that aspect in it, too. Well, no, but see, but chess is doesn't have the randomness. What I'm okay. saying is with Catan... You're adapting to the game. Right, you're adapting to the randomness of the situation. And you have to adapt to the randomness of the situation by interacting with the other player. So how much... So if something... If you had a bad roll, how much can you get out of the other player? Like, there was one time where I built... Um, I took over this wood tile, which was the only good number for wood in the entire game, and I had a port that was two to one wood. That's, that's the worst when when there's only one tile for wood that produces. That was that was really good. Yeah. So I I traded away all my wood for all this other stuff, mm -hmm. and then I played a monopoly for the wood. <laughs> now you see that's a that's a great play in general. If if uh, you have monopoly and you have all of this resource that everybody wants. As soon as you get, you trade away the resources, you Monopoly right up because Monopoly gives you all the resources in everyone's hand into your hand. The only problem is you better spend all those resources because mm -hmm. if the next guy that goes rolls a seven, half your resources are gone if you have more than oh, seven yeah. cards I'm in your hand. Sure, I'm pretty sure I built two cities that <laughs> I mean, I will burn, I will burn resources just to get rid of them mm -hmm. if I have more than seven in my hand. Four wood, but I only need one to build a road. No, I, I get rid of all four wood, and I'll make myself a development card. So, you know, when it comes to when it comes to like categorizing games, because you were talking about like sure. interactivity, indirect, mm -hmm. indirect interactivity. I, you know, like me, I'm very. Well, I mean, you yourself, you're a very analytical person. Yep. Um, and you know, I will go so far as to say that you could expound upon that, but you know, that's not where your hobbies are. That's not where your interests are. Um, but for me, you know, my my background is in more scientific fields and whatnot. So I'm I'm more analytical and breaking things down into uh, categories and so forth. So I like you see the the system I have for my games over there. Sure. I used to have a different system. I think it's a nightmare, but it works. <laughs> I used to actually have a different system where I would label games based on their mechanics, and you that's know, really that's I mm, that's so tough and. I li I, well, I I'll, like, I'll let you finish. I like I like the challenge of doing it. I, I want to expound upon that. So you know some mechanics I've found. You know, and we talk about like different levels of interactivity. You know, you have action selection, um, or what I call you know another thing I call choice pick, where there's something you know it's not kind of like drafting, but it, it includes drafting, um, where it, it actually kind of covers. Well, that's both. a draft of sorts. Right. It, it actually includes the I mean, action selection and. Drafting. Choice so pick forth. would be a draft of sorts. It's just not the same as what most people would consider drafting. Right. And then you have trading with other players. Mm -hmm. And then you have dice rolling. You have hand management, resource management. Well, really, they're the same kind of things. 
So it, it's really interesting in, in gaming how, um, you know, all these different mechanics, and, 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 I, and I know I kind of, before, where I, before I, I kind of bashed um, people just kind of throwing mechanics together, but at the same time, it is still interesting to watch how people take different mechanics and throw them together sure. to, to make a game, you know, like sure. uh, Dwellings, right? Dwellings of Elder Realm. Mm -hmm. If you haven't heard of the game, you haven't played the game, and you're into board games, I would definitely recommend it. If it you is, haven't heard of the game... It's in my top ten of last year of if, games that I played. If you haven't heard of the game and you're into board games and you live deeper under a rock than I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, Catan already combined um, a number of really good mechanics. The, the, the three main mechanics in Catan is uh, area control. Because you're controlling, just by placing your house down, I wouldn't you say stop. so much area control. No, no, it's say. definitely area, well. I would say, I would say. It's, no, it's, it's more, of a, more of a, uh, more of a choice pick with the area. No, no. It, I, because it's who builds the settlement. Area first. control comes in a couple varieties. This is a variety of area to control. Not where you have it's the most guys. Subtle. It's a very where subtle. You, where you place. Yes. Yeah. So area control in that if you build a, a house... Well, hold on, let me pause you, pause you there, because okay. the, the thing, the, the reason why I kind of push back against the idea of area control is that kind of implies that you can change it. Mm. So that's why that's why I say it's, a, it's, a, it's more of a choice pick of I, su I suppose, but you you don't... It, right, because to, like to El Grande, still, right? El Grande is... Area, area. That's area majority. That right. is not area control. It's area majority. But that kind of falls under that same category. Yes, that is another. If area control is the the overall arching category itself, mm -hmm. that is area majority, which is a lower classification of an area control kind right. of thing. Right. So, and that's why I would that's, say like Catan would be more of a choice pick of areas. But it's still it's still an area control game because by just choosing to build in a spot, you prevent someone from building next to two other spots. Mm -hmm. It's never a game where area is gonna where you're gonna change control of the area, mm -hmm. but you're you're stopping people, you're blocking them from going into other areas just yeah, from you're building the dick that, into it. That builds three spaces away on the same hex. Absolutely. Why not? That way you can't get into my space on either side. Yeah. I'm gonna go three roads away just so I have complete control of the eight. Or the six. Why not? If I get wood, I get two wood. Mm -hmm. You're not getting any. Fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. You don't need that. No, actually, no. It's If you want wood, I'm the guy you talk to. Look, I'm grinding <laughs> my sheep to make my roads. That's all I know. Fuzzy cows. So, uh, it, not only is... So there's random luck in the game, just from dice rolling. Dice rolling, random luck. Uh, there's area control to a degree in the game. There is also a minor set collection going on in the game. Uh -huh. You have to buy into the uh, development cards. There is uh, the the last big mechanic is um, resource management because you're you're not limited in how many cards you can have in your hand, except for by the law of averages, which is any given three hands, uh, any given three rolls, you're more than likely going to roll a seven, which will get rid of anybody that has more than, uh, seven, more than seven down to half of their. Card count. And that's one thing I like about the expansion, the, the cities in the next expansion too, is where you can build the city walls where it, each city wall you build is increased by two. And it really just adds this really interesting dynamic to the game. Sorry, but go ahead. So, Eldervale, Dwellings of Eldervale, also has area control, but it has a much more direct area control because um, at the end of every round, if you and another guy share the same space, 
you go to combat, which is fantastic. You uh, count up how many dice you get based on various varying factors, and then whoever has the highest die wins the battle. The, highest the, single die. Highest single die wins the battle. And if you and your opponent both have the same highest single die, then whoever has the next highest single die. And if everyone has the same highest single die after you go from your sixes to your fives to your fours, all the way down to ones, yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone dies. Because that's how war should be. If everyone is equal, everyone dies. But, uh, that's actually an interesting, uh, interesting perspective. But, you know, and, and, and that's one thing, too, where... Um, where I think the allure of Eldervale uh, lies, because you know there's a lot of games out there where it's either it's either you win or you lose, but Eldervale, like uh, some other games, which and I think you find this in most of the top rated, uh, well I wouldn't say top rated, but some of the best games is where um, not so much you win or lose in any given situation, but every situation provides you with an opportunity to take a different path. Oh, absolutely. That's why uh, even if you lose a battle on Eldervale, your real goal may have been just to get your opponent to do something. So if I go into battle against Charles over here, I really don't want to win. All I really want is the goddamn sword I get when my guy dies. That's, because that's, the sword is a resource. The that's usually my strategy, and then I win battles. There's also a, a, a quest that you can get in the game that says, lose a battle, get points. <laughs> which is why Blood Rage is great. Yeah. But, uh, so, so Dwellings of Eldervale, almost anything you do in the game is going to do something for you. Sometimes you need to win that battle. Uh, other times you're like, screw it, I just want to fuck with my opponent. And um, just by fucking with people, you can get stuff out of it. Maybe you win a battle you didn't expect to win. I throw my one, one warrior against your uh, dragon wizard and uh, three workers. I roll two dice, you roll five dice. I'm the only one with the six, fuck you! That's all that needs to win is the highest single die. And, and that's one thing, you know, for transparency's sake, when, when I play games anymore, I'm just, I just like to be that guy that fucks with everybody. And, it's and very annoying. <laughs> very, very annoying. Especially if you're his target of the day. Do, do not be Charles's target. He will annoy the shit out of you, and he'll do shit just to fuck with you, and make it very difficult for you to win. Because I play games to have fun, not to win. <laughs> yes, those are the worst kind of gamers, in my opinion. Uh, I, I'm the worst kind of gamer. No, you kidding. all heard it here. I'm just kidding with you. No, but that's fine. Um, but, you know, and, and you know... You can again, try to win. Yeah, I mean, on occasion, there will be points. Like, when we first started playing 18xxs, and I was just like, okay, if you want me to play serious, let's play serious, and then... Don't, don't play an 18xx unless you have um, half a day to throw away. I, pr I promise you that it is not for the light of heart, um, and you should not be playing that time, kind of game until you have at least 30 different games under your belt that you understand to a basic degree. Well, you know, so, and, and, and I kind of kind of got to, I want to take this opportunity to segue, or not really segue, but to bring up an old news topic. So there was this whole idea that came out before where Ticket to Ride is, in a, is a game that promotes capitalism. <laughs> What? Yeah, even Jimmy Dore. What? Even Jimmy Dore, who apparently is not a board gamer at all, was saying Ticket oh, to Ride promotes capitalism. That's what he was saying. He He's an idiot. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. So 
I'll be fair to Jimmy Dore. He's not he's not the brightest bulb, and he doesn't pretend to be the brightest bulb. But I, I do believe he's a person that comes from uh, you know he tries to at least be genuine in character. But this was just <laughs> this was just a point. Anyone where he was who just, says ticket the ride promotes capitalism. I mean, he obviously didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. I mean, we could say eighteen XX is something po- that promotes- possibly. Philadelphia, the Pennsylvania version of uh, of um, Ticket to Ride promotes capitalism, but even then, I would say that's that's it yeah. I mean, ticket, so capitalism. Ticket to Ride for unless, of course, he means by buying the game, you're being yeah, capitalistic. Kind of like, but I mean, I, I really, I mean, I listen. I I don't. I'm not going to say good or bad or anything, but I I'll just be honest. Which I think in, this is one of those situations where Jimmy Dore was just kind of like parroting another opinion where he didn't really, that he didn't really understand. Um, I mean, and we all do that. Like, I'll do that at some sure. point. Sure. He'll do that at some point, too. You know, you know. But um, the whole, so for those of you that don't know, Ticket to Ride is really, is really a set collection game and a, and a kind of choice pick game. So the whole idea is, is that you're trying to get a certain number of cards in your hand to connect to your route, and these cards have to be Excuse specific... Me. Don't ever excuse yourself. I mean, you know, own up to it. But anyway, excuse me. <laughs> no, you're supposed to say, "Oh man, you know, next time we'll do better." But anyways, anyways, um, so Ticket to Ride is a game where you you try to get cards in your hand, and once you have a certain number of cards in your hand, you can build a route connected to your your already existing route, and the amount of cards that you're trying to get is dependent on the the what the board shows, right? It's, it's the, Depending on the different boards that you play. So at the beginning of the game, you get a couple secret objectives, mm-hmm. which where are you're where you're trying to connect. And it could be New York to San Francisco, which is really hard to do because it is across the entire board. And there are any number of people that could interfere with you between New York and San Francisco by just laying down a set of trains. I but, so couldn't get me doing the tags after this. <laughs> please, please go ahead. But, um... It's also worth a ton of points. So if you make the connection, not only do you have all the points from each of the trains you put onto the board. By the way, every train is worth at least a point by putting it onto the board. Sometimes it's worth up to three points. Well, the longer the round is, the, the more points you get. Sure. So, but the idea I wanted, the idea I wanted to point out is that Jimmy Dore has never played an 18xx game because that would be more of capitalism in the game, or like you that is definitely the, capitalism in the game. Or you think of uh, you know. Uh, that is, the big shoulders and so forth. Those but, are all capitalism. The but game. you know what? Like we, like we, you know, eighteen thirty is the intro one, and eighteen thirty, even though the rules are simple, it didn't make sense. And you know what actually made sense was that crazy one that we played recently that you played with our friend from North Jersey. Sure. While oh my playing. god, I cannot wait until the next <laughs> game we play of that. But you know what? Despite all of that, that's actually a game that, in this, in the sense of, you know, the way economics works and companies and stocks and, and so forth works that's actually one that actually made the most sense it's based on real principles it's real based principles on ec- actual business, business ec- economics it, it's it's an economic game mm-hmm. and that's that's one of the reasons i like it a lot it's, it's rooted in realistic principles and uh it has just the abstract idea of the principle and it's probably i would say just above basic idea thought itself in the form of a game by the way for for those of you listeners who want to play a game that's really rooted in principles of how the world actually works play supremacy you remember that one i i don't want to 
<laughs> tell me that was not a game that really does not uh, reflect how the, the world really works. I, I cannot say it does or doesn't because we haven't gotten there yet. What do you mean? Are we, are what are we you not, talking about? Are Luke? we not talking about that uh, the game with the, the craziness and the... No, I'm talking about the game where you play as a corporation and the corporations invest in different countries and then the countries, the, the corporations, depending on how much ownership they have in the countries, will tell the countries to go to war That's with the Yeah. I didn't think that was the name of the game. I thought that yeah. was a different game. That was, the, that was the one that our, that our, our friend who um, likes the older women... Sure. Yeah. I thought you were talking about the, uh, I don't know what the other game, the, what was no, the no, game you brought over? No, no, it's not what I brought over, it's one that he brought okay. over. Okay. So this is the I game mean, that's, that... that's very rude, that's rooted in realistic principles. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea is that, that was a everybody, good game. everybody's playing corporations where you're trying to... Have I thought the we were playing as over. countries. No, you're playing as corporations, and the whole point of your corporation is to have the most influence over con ah. countries. And as having influence over the, com the countries, you can determine who they go the war with. And, you know, I was like, oh, well, all of you have it. Your, your country that you have influence with uh, has a naval unit in this sea. Well, no, this country will. And no, and yeah. That so was like, a really good game. It's a really good game, but at the same time, it really is a parallel for how the world actually works. Every, everything is a parallel to games, in my opinion. Uh, well, everything can be. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, you know, it, and that actually brings to mind, have you ever played the game Prince's, Prison Architect? No. I've, but, I've watched people play. But you know what it is, right? So, yes. So, and, and actually, you know, you, we talk about the prison industrial complex and so forth, and, and I actually talked to somebody. I was like, you know, you want to you talk about why the prison system is so screwed up. Just, just play this video game. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, we've, we've packaged broad ideas into video games, and it made it easier for people to digest... And I don't even think they're actually realizing how close to reality these games parallel. And, and you know, that brings to mind another topic because of, like, the whole idea of, uh, you know, like Marvel and, and why the X-Men created and, and the social, the social uh, discussions. There's a, there's a lot of uh, really very, very subtle things within uh, Marvel Comics that... Yeah, I'm you're, talking like older. We no, I know, I know. You know, you, and, never, you don't really even see that stuff unless you're looking for it. And in you some won't cases. see it in the movies. And, you know, nowadays, but that's, but, that's all commercial now. But but you know, at the same. But what I was saying is that you know, video games like Prison Architect do what Marvel and Stan Lee used to do about you know they they provide the social commentary or at least these specific games provide the social commentary. Which I'm really sad that Paradox bought out Prison Architect, but you know that's another topic. And, and really, this topic is, is something, too, we can talk about another time, is, is the whole so social commentary that gaming in general can provide. Good. Right. I'm not certain it's the ne necessarily the best vehicle for it. Although, although I, saying that, there was a game that someone made based on the Holocaust. Wolfenstein? No. No, 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 no. That, that's a funny game in which you go and kill people. Mm. Uh, I'm talking about, um, have you have you heard of the the game where uh, the, it was a one-play game, you'll never be able to play it again because of the fact that the, the whole entire thing was a, I would say more of a, I'd say it was like an art thing, mm -hmm. uh, because people were making, they were only given two choices. They were given a choice to advance their uh, train mm -hmm. or put someone on the train. Okay? And when someone got to the destination, they won the game. 
and um, they had to get the most people there. Uh, you, so you're talking about are you talking about video game? Because no, no, this is a, this is a, a this is a real physical game. I'll bring it up. Because uh, I mean, you see that a lot in, in video games with like Papers Please and, and so forth. Yeah, Paper Please. That's that's a really good game. It's really it, a lot of interesting decisions. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Holder and. Uh, Oh, there's actually a game like that with the train where you're transporting passengers. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. I'm sure somebody in the comments. Uh, train board game will make you ponder. Yeah, it's a, it's the the entire game was, a, was just boxcars and windows and um, the the people who were playing the game didn't know where they were going with these trains. They didn't know why they were going there with these trains. And uh, when the when someone got to the location. Or after, rather, everyone got there, it was revealed that everyone was taking uh, people to... Uh, Auschwitz. Yes. <laughs> Nailed it. Yes. As a Jew, Greg, how do you feel about that? About the Holocaust? <laughs> no, about a game leading people to Auschwitz. I couldn't care less about it. Oh, okay. People do shit about anything all the time. I think it's probably a very educational game that they played. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that, that's always I really don't thing. care. People who, who get offended by those types of things, they need to look in a mirror. They need to really question why are they offended? What is it that the what that person said or the thing did or what they were playing? Yeah, we're just touching on so many good topics in this episode. <sighs> these are great topics. Yeah, we'll I mean, bring these up in, in a future episode. But uh, any anybody who gets offended by those types of things, they, they really should take a hard look in the mirror and question, what is my life really about now? You know, and I, I was actually talking to, you know, people before, and I, I was saying, you know, I don't consider anyone adult unless I can look on their face and I see one thing, regret. I don't care how old that, you are. That is, uh, if you don't have any regrets, you have definitely not learned anything. I'm, in fact, uh, wise people will be full of regret, and uh, that's how you know they are probably wise, because... Yeah. Um, they have made mistakes, and I encourage people to make mistakes because mistakes are your greatest. Uh, tools I don't know of if learning. I would go that far about encouraging people to make mistakes in general. Well, you, you can't stop yourself. You've already made a mistake. Mistake number one: you're watching this. You're already there. <laughs> yes. Remember to download this video and share it with all your friends so that they can, they can download. download it too. Well, video or audio, you know, depending on whether whatever your plan or not. Um, but. I mean, uh, and yeah, I mean, we touched on so many topics, but I think we'll end the podcast there. Sure, absolutely. And um, yeah, um, anything else you want to want to add to the discussion, Greg? Mm, play board games. You will enjoy one of them that you find out in the wild. There, I guarantee there is a board game for everyone. Board games are just very low class video games. And they're very the good thing but, about board games is they're tactile. Yes, you can feel them. You can if you didn't know what tactile I mean, usually, is. Usually, usually I only like touching myself, but. <laughs> <laughs> but play games, board games are great, and um, yeah, I think that's about it. You, I mean, I hate you all, but I will give you some advice: is that you will you won't get anywhere in life unless you challenge yourself against yourself or against other people. That is a very true statement. If, if your greatest expectation in life is uh, to be where you are today, I promise you, you will have learned nothing and will go nowhere. Well, I mean, you know, and I'll, I'll kind of diverge from our topic a little bit. One thing I say about freedom, you know, in general, is that 
The price of freedom is diligence and vigilance, but the consequence of freedom is complacency. So with that, we will end the, the show here, the podcast here, and go back to sleep, fuckers. Thank <laughs> you.